Morning Liberty. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Good Morning Liberty podcast. It's nice to, uh, well, it can't be nice to see anybody. I can't see anyone. You can't see a single person except for me right now. That's it. All I see is you. Yeah. My name, I'm Nate, by the way. Oh, yeah, Nate. Yeah. And, and I'm Charlie. And it, I'm just saying it's nice that everybody's listening. Yeah. That's, I was trying to just appreciate our, our audience. Our audience is, is growing every day. We get those yeah. numbers every single day, and the numbers keep going up. Do so. you know why they keep going up? Probably because of freedom. That and people are hitting that subscribe button. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's important. Don't forget, we ran the sip and scan code uh, coupon a couple of about a month ago. It's been a while now, <clears throat> but we're going to reintroduce the sip and scan code. It is a it's free. So don't go anywhere. It is free for you to do. And it's a coupon code uh, that you don't have to enter. And all you got to do is hit that subscribe button. And when you hit it, automatically our episodes come directly to your favorite podcast listening device, which is probably your phone. So what does that have to do with uh, sipping and scanning something, you think? Maybe it's fun to do. (laughs) While you press that subscribe button, you take a sip of delicious ice cold Coca-Cola Zero. Yep. Yep. That's what we do. (laughs) Well, today we got to talk about a couple things. I wish Coke was giving us money for that. Yeah, they should. They but should they're be. not. Maybe someday. Yeah, maybe one day so, we'll reach out. <laughs> so we got to talk a little bit about uh, later in the podcast. We're going to be talking about some taxation, some states that have the highest taxation, and really a comment that we had on one of our Facebook videos about how really there's no proof that the rich will leave places that have higher taxes. Yeah. That's just a crazy idea. If we take all of their money, there's no proof that they would leave. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense (laughs) to make that assertion whatsoever. There's no details on that at all. It's pure speculation and opinion. So we will give you all of our uh, fact-based opinion on that. You know the thing about our opinions? When we talk opinionated, our opinions are based on facts. And the truth. Yeah, and that's why we generate those opinions. Right. So we'll talk about (laughs) that here in a little bit. But we now we got to talk about... Well, first, can I use the Ben Shapiro line? But first. But first, Trump is being demonized by everybody now. He is. Not just the left is after him, it's the right. Because Trump has done one thing that you shouldn't do when you're president, or or I guess the establishment says you shouldn't do. Yeah. Which is pull the troops. Yeah. Every Almost every president in the last, what is it? two decades forever forever years have said we're going to bring the troops home and every time they get in office obama same thing in fact he increased drone strikes no they don't do it one thing they actually run on they never do trump is actually fulfilling a campaign promise here kind of although one one step at a time right i'll I'll give it to him you uh, he's not doing it all at one time right but i i feel as though i can make the assertion i can make the claim that Donald Trump is our most anti-war president that we have had in, I don't know, I don't know what, like, I can't even think, I mean, you think we have military conflicts, new military conflicts with like every single president that we've had, including Clinton, uh, including the first Bush, um, including Mm -hmm. Reagan, we were doing things in all kinds of other countries at that point in time. I mean, it's tough to go back and decide uh, which one would be the most anti-war president? Um, I feel as though it's definitely in my lifetime. It's the most anti-war rhetoric I've heard, and maybe it's not That's, because Trump's like a good guy or anything, or he hates war. 
I think he knows that war is a bad, <laughs> it costs money and we're, and we're out of money. Right. And it doesn't make any sense for us to continue spending all this money and getting little to no benefit. You know, you're, we're not getting any benefit. Right. And that's the one thing I would caution people on though, is it is, it's been a lot of talk yeah. with some action, but yes. at least there is some action. Yeah. And we didn't invade Iran. He did. So how, that's that's a positive, at yeah. least in the foreign policy area. We don't need any new wars. We're at a point right now where I feel like to boost his numbers with Democrats and Republicans, Trump's going to have to start a new mm-hmm. war. You know, I, I think that's gonna his best thing because it seems like the only thing that Democrats and Republicans, by and large, can agree with is that they want that war, baby. They want it. They the want politicians, the politicians, at least. Yeah, the politicians. If you, ask, if you ask the American people, they don't want it. Yeah, I know. And but it's, the w- politicians are all in agreement. I will say this, and not to pick on any of you Republicans who are listening, but I'm going to pick on the Republicans who are listening. Listen, if this were a Democrat president and they were doing to the Kurds what Trump is doing right now, do you honestly think that you would be talking about how we don't need to be over there, it's none of our business, we need to stop policing the whole world, bring the troops home, all this stuff, we're involved in too many wars overseas. Do you think that if Obama had left the Kurds high and dry so the Turkish government could invade them the day of when we left, do you think that you would have the exact same opinion about it that you do right now? And my assumption, although you might disagree with me because you don't want to admit it, my assumption would be that you would be saying what all the people who hate Trump are saying right now about what he's doing. That this was a terrible idea, that we were leaving our allies high and dry, that we were that, you know, committing some kind of mass murder, basically, because the Kurds are all going to get killed by the Turkish government now. Um, that that's what we were doing because it's really it's really interesting to see the switch now, where we have these who were previously like war hawk Republicans, who have now decided that their love of Trump is the most important love in their life, and so now they can support the fact that we're leaving part of a country overseas. I, I mean, there are several Republicans who are against them. Though. I know, I know, especially but, Lindsey Graham. But, yeah, you know, Lindsey Graham. He likes to drop bams. <laughs> Yeah, I and and you know Lindsey Graham has been a friend of Trump when, in a lot of other situations uh, other than this, but I think uh, Lindsey Graham is trying to speak for his old pal John McCain at the same time and make sure that we we let everyone know that we need to be involved overseas in everything all in the time. Every conflict we could possibly imagine Just, and if we don't have any we'll conjure them up. And now Democrats Let's say there's a Democrat listening to the program. I think we might have one or two of them. Would you be saying the same thing about the fact that our military is leaving part of Syria, that we are staying away from a conflict somewhere and taking some of our troops and taking them out of harm's way? Would you be saying the same thing if it were President Obama who did that? Or are you, in fact, pro-war now because Trump is being anti-war? And I think you could make that claim also. Yeah. Especially so, guys like Chuck Schumer. Yeah. That's the thing. <laughs> That's the thing. There's no principle anymore. You There's asked a good question. No principle. What happened to the anti-war left? Yeah. Where'd they go? I mean, they're all about civil liberties and all about, you know, human rights. Yeah. What happened? Now all of a sudden we 
We don't have that. Yeah, you remember, I remember seeing protests in the street while George W. Bush was president about the Iraq war. And then the number of countries in which we were bombing increased while President Obama was in office. Didn't hear Pete. Started bombing uh, upwards of seven countries all at one time while President Obama was in power. And eh, there's no mass protest against war in the streets anymore. I still haven't seen a declaration of war from Congress. Have you? Still have not. No. 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 People want to talk about this War Powers Act or whatever. It's a bunch of hogwash. It's just ridiculous. Oh, the uh, authorization of use of military force? Yeah. That's not Congress's duty. Congress's duty is to actually declare war. Yep. And so they've, they've usurped. Uh, They're not doing that. Even the congressmen who were talking about how Trump is doing the wrong thing and leaving are not proposing that Congress have a vote about the fact that we should be at war. In you want to know why? None of them are saying that. Because they can blame the president and yeah. not themselves. <laughs> That's this wh- is exactly why Congress did what they did. Because when it comes to situations like this, they just blame the president because it's the president's fault now. It's yeah. not theirs. Yeah. They, they didn't declare. I didn't vote to declare war. That's, if anything. I didn't vote to not declare war. If anything, why don't we do this? Let's put it up to a vote in the House of Representatives and the Senate over whether or not we should be involved in the conflict that's happening in Syria. Let's put it up to a vote. And if the Kurds are our allies in this specific scenario, Congress needs to vote on whether we're actually going to declare war on Turkey or not. Because Turkey is the one who is who is bombing and, uh, let's say, pushing back against the Kurds right now. So if you're in Congress, I'm talking to you, Chuck and Lindsey, and everyone else that's in Congress, Chuck's a senator. Yes. But let's go with... I still technically call Congress Congress as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Go ahead and put it up for a vote. See if you guys want to declare war on Turkey to protect the Kurds. That's (laughs) that's what it should be. Here's the problem with declaring war on Turkey, because everyone keeps talking about, oh, the Kurds (laughs) are allies, they're our allies. Hey, guess what? Turkey are our allies. Legally, they are our allies because of our agreement with NATO. They're an actual recognized nation inside of NATO. They are literally one of our allies. So if we were to go and have any kind of military force against Turkey, then technically under the NATO agreement, uh, UK, Germany, France, Spain... Portugal, Canada, all these other countries would technically need to be fighting the United States at that time for attacking their ally, who is Turkey. Right. That's how messed up this whole thing is. So the question becomes, well, the question I had as I was looking at all this, and it's obviously dominating the news, and I'm like, where where did all this start? If you're like me and you like to get to the bottom of things, you're like, why the hell is this even an issue? You know? So... For all of you guys out there that are just hearing the news headlines and you're like me and you're like, well, what in the world is even going on between the Kurds and Turkey? And why is there even a conflict that the U.S. needs to be involved in? Well, I've done that for you. We have done that for you. <laughs> I, I actually didn't do this part at all. Yeah, but you're you're, you're part of me. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that means. Sure. <laughs> and so uh, you're part of Good Morning Liberty and so am I. Yeah. And that makes us... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good morning, Liberty Together. I got you. I got We're, you. Yeah. Let's just move on. We're laying in the bed of Liberty. <laughs> Are you going to cut that? No. Because I thought it was pretty funny. No, we're going to leave it in. All right. Good. So, it, you would be uh, surprised, probably not, but to find 
that the war between uh, the Kurdish people and everyone else has been going on for centuries. Yeah. And it all dates back to the Ottoman Empire, right? You had different, uh, let's say, ethnic groups of people who fought back against the Ottoman Empire. Some countries were formed, like Turkey and all this stuff. You've had some restructuring of the Middle East based on the Gulf War and some other things that have happened, uh, especially when the United States went in and established Iran. The, the United States and all these other countries after World War II somehow decided to redraw country lines and all this arbitrary stuff. Yeah. So, th- And then we propped up Iraq so they could fight Iran. Yes. And just all kinds of crazy stuff. So this, this, these types of conflicts has been going on for a very, very long time. Now, what is at stake today? Well, I found that since 1978, the Kurds have been pushing back against Turkey. And they've been pushing back against Turkey for a very, I think, valid reason. Now, the main rebel group uh, for the Kurds is the PKK, which is the Kurdistan Workers' Party. Now, there is no Kurdistan. Yeah. Right? But they want there to be a Kurdistan. So they want, the Kurds want part of Syria, part of Iraq, and part of Turkey, and they want to create their own country there. Well, obviously, all the other other nations are pushing back, especially Turkey. But so much so that in 1980, Turkey outlawed, basically outlawed Kurdish culture inside of its national borders, which means. You could no longer speak the Kurdish language. You couldn't write the Kurdish language. You couldn't speak it in public. You couldn't speak it in private. You couldn't write about it. You couldn't wear the same clothes as as your Kurdish culture or anything like that. Yeah. And so what did this do? Well, this obviously pissed a lot of Kurds off. I mean, that's your national Mm -hmm. heritage. And so I drew this comparison. I drew this comparison is like, imagine if in the United States, if we actually prohibited people from speaking another language, from wearing their their culture's clothes, from writing their their language that they want to write, even if they made it up, like who cares? But let's use the Spanish as an example, right? Or or the, uh, Latin people. Like Spanish is not really a ethnic group. Um, Hispanic. So let's use <laughs> Latino, 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 Hispanic, whatever. Let's use that as an example. So imagine that we banned Spanish as a language. You weren't allowed to use it. Not only did we ban it, but if we caught you doing it, we would imprison you and we'd also kill you because that's what Turkey has been doing to the Kurds since the 80s. Do you or do you not think there would be an uprising? There might be. Of Spanish people against the United States because you are limiting their natural rights to freedom of speech. To freedom of association, to freedom of practice religion, all of those civil liberties that we all enjoy that are inherent to our nature. Do you not think that they that that the Spanish people would have a leg to stand on at all? So are you saying that the Kurdish people are actually validated in in how they feel about the Turkish government? I think so. Yeah, I I really do. Now, obviously, uh, Turkey. I think is in the wrong for doing this. Um, and they've been called out. Turkey has actually been called out several times by humanitarian groups, by the UN. There's all kinds of articles and links that you can look up They They have been um, called out by many groups for all of their human rights violations, including 
um, you know, banning the Kurdish language, dress, folklore, and names. And so, and they ban these in the Kurdish inhabited areas. And so from there, what's happened is, is this back and forth between a Kurdish uprising and Turkey that have gone on for a few years, then they have a ceasefire, then it's a few years and they have a ceasefire and a few years and they have a ceasefire. Well, since 2015, when the last ceasefire um, stopped, they've been at war with each other. Now, the Kurds are trying to establish Kurdistan. They want to establish their own country so that they can practice what they believe in without going to prison for it. Now, is that wrong? No, no, it's not wrong. And and we we also know that they they have been one of the only groups of people that in that area that are legitimately helping us in our fight against everything over there i guess but especially in our fight against isis and then you know the the fight against the all the other groups over there al-qaeda taliban all those people they've actually been the only people that have been consistently you know forming a legitimate group a legitimate group of people that are going to help us fight those people so they have been an ally in that fight this is just kind of a weird thing where turkey is also our ally because we're part of nato it's it's almost like there's a reason that we are supposed to avoid forming entangling alliances, uh, which was obviously something said by who George Washington, pretty sure, uh, mm-hmm. that this is what it inevitably leads to. We have two people who we are technically supposed to be allies with that are uh, fighting each other, and regardless of what we do, it's going to be the wrong answer. We can help the, help the Kurds fight Turkey, and in doing that, we are fighting a NATO ally, and then all those other countries of NATO are technically would need to be killing the U.S. soldiers over there because they're fighting one of their allies. You'd have to remove Turkey from NATO before it would all uh, legally make sense as far as all that goes. Right. Now, you may be asking yourself, like, oh, well, what's the Kurds? Why is there not a Kurdistan? This doesn't make any sense. Well, a Kurd, the Kurdish is an ethnic group. And the other, um, you could say, because Muslim is not an ethnic group, neither is Islam, but the other um, Arabs in the area that um, have ethnic groups are the Sunnis and the Shiites that we hear a lot about, that they've been at war with each other, and the Kurds. So you have Sunnis, Shiites, and Kurds. Now, most of our wars have been against um, the Sunnis or the Shiites, depending on the time frame. And the Kurds have largely been the more peaceful group that have been allies with the United States in our endeavors. Now, so we consider, even though Kurdistan is not a country, we consider the Kurdish people um, in that region to be friends to the United States, as Nate pointed out. Now, the the problem that we have there is that obviously Kurdistan doesn't exist, and so it cannot be a nation recognized in NATO and it's not legally, as part of the, the agreement that we have with NATO, uh, a legal ally, quote unquote. But yeah. they have been our friends when it comes to these conflicts. But you could ask yourself, you know, why did we have these conflicts to begin with? Like I think about everyone right now is talking about is it's the Kurdish people that were the boots on the ground to help our fight against ISIS. Now, you have to ask yourself, why did ISIS begin to begin with? That's one question. The second question is. Has ISIS ever attacked America? At least the mainland. It's possible ISIS has attacked U.S. troops, but yeah. it's because we were over there. Now, they might so. have inspired 
a couple, you know, shooters or something like that here in the U.S. You don't know. You'll see that maybe that they're ISIS sympathizers. But yeah, we have to realize that ISIS is something that formed um, after we already were in there. They didn't attack us and then we went there to fight them. They right. formed afterwards, and actually, uh, more than likely, as a consequence of us going in there in the first place, we we actually helped form them, and then we started knowing that we needed to fight against them afterwards and the Kurds have been helping us do this this is this is what I would consider to be a mess you know it's a mess over there there's no good answers for any of it at all because at the end of the day my question is still okay well why is any of this our job why is any of it our business whatsoever that's where I was going yeah yep so like why do we need to be involved what about all the other countries over there that are that have been helping us some in the in the war on terror over there, <laughs> and you know they've been helping us some, like the like any of the countries there in the UK. Why aren't they over there holding this border? After all, I mean they're like one or two thousand miles away from the alleged Kurdistan, uh, when we're like twelve thousand miles away from it. So why is it automatically? Our troops' job to be the people, the boots on the ground over there to keep these people safe. When there's a hundred countries over there who supposedly want the same things that we do, yet everyone's looking at us to take care of the whole world, I guess. Yeah. It's one of the reasons we'll talk about this here in a little bit, but our military is treated as the world police for everyone. And that has a price tag with it. Mm-hmm. It has a really big price tag. Because freedom isn't free. It's not. It costs at least a buck oh five. Right. So the, the... Well, the price tag is not only in dollars, it's also in lives. Yeah, that's the issue. Like over 5,000 troops so far, maybe 6,000, something like that. Well, that's this is where I kind of wanted to walk the line, is if you think about our, our recent involvement over there anyway, it's because Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda attacked the United States, 9-11, right? That was an actual attack on the Twin Towers. We had almost 3,000 people die because of that result, right? And so we went over there to defeat Osama bin Laden, but not only did we do that, we did all kinds of other things. We declared war on Iraq. We took down Saddam Hussein. And I'm not saying Saddam Hussein wasn't a good person. He probably wasn't. Yeah. And he did terrible things to people. But at the same time, we were fighting this war on terrorism. We decided to fight the war in Iraq. Just to clarify there, sorry to cut in, but the the terrible things that Saddam Hussein did, and I mean no knock on any American troops ever, anytime I ever say anything like this whatsoever, but our reasons for for taking down Saddam Hussein, the fact that he had killed some of his own people. He was torturing some of them. We've killed like 10 times more of his people after going there. Right. Uh, And... And apparently it's a good thing that he's not there anymore. Although, like, over a million of them died because we went there when we were going in there because he had killed, like, 100,000 people. Right. Something like that. So, like I said, not just, that's not a knock on the military or any of the people who do this, but our foreign policy is crap. Right. So because of the attack on 9-11, where almost 3,000 people were killed, it was absolutely in our right to respond to that and go get Osama bin Laden, uh, who was ended up being in Pakistan. Uh, which is also an ally, by yeah. the way, Yeah, <laughs> that was housing a terrorist. But anyway, yep. I'm trying to break down some of the mess for you so you can kind of see a timeline. You can see the history of it. You can see why all this is happening. You can see why Trump is absolutely right to pull the troops. That's where I'm going. That's where we're trying to go with this. And so 
we have now ended up over the last 20 years since we've been involved in this conflict over there and all the conflicts that we've been a part of more American troops have now died than the Americans that died in nine 11. Yeah. Now tell me how that's a net positive on like, any of this. Like twice as many people it's, died. Yeah. Yeah. We've had at least, I don't know the exact numbers, but it's been at least five, six, 7,000 American troops that have died overseas yeah. uh, in the last 20 years since this conflict has started. So you tell me how that is in any way, shape or form a net positive on American lives. It's absolutely not. And the, I'm not going to get into, you know, even though I believe in it, I'm not going to get into the whole blowback with CIA and how all of this started probably because the United States has been involved in other people's business for far too long. But these, this whole idea that we can, just be the world police and be stationed in every single country to try to keep peace between people who have deep convictions and are at war with people is just absurd. And all it does is actually hurt America. So should the, it's like if you have two friends fighting, right? Because the Kurds are our friend and legally speaking, Turkey's our friend because they're in NATO and they're at war with each other. And it's like, if you have two friends that are fighting with each other that have deep convictions, it's not like you choose one side or the other. What you try to do is, is be as logical as you can possibly be to both of them to try to help resolve the conflict because you're not going to stop them from throwing fists by getting in the middle of them. It never works. You ever tried to get in the middle of a fight before, by the way? Um, I've kind of had to pull one apart, but I never like got in between them. That's, that's their yeah. business. <laughs> The problem with that is, is that if you try to get in the middle of a fight, the fists are still flying. And yeah. guess what happens? You get hit. And that's what's happened to us. Too many American troops have died, and we've spent way too much money over there. And so it's 6,828. 6,828. 6,828 mothers have had to hear the news that their son or daughter did not make it home from their deployment since 9-11. Yeah. That's disgusting. In the longest war that the United States has ever been involved in. The longest one. And so, okay, you have to think, because I was saying this earlier when you and I were talking about it, Nate. Literally, Trump is damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. It's, it's either one. Now, if you ask the majority of the American populace, their stance is, let's bring the troops home. We're tired of them dying over there. We're tired of spending all this money on all these wars. We have our own problems that we need to take care of. Bring the troops home. So that's what Trump campaigned on. In fact, that's what many presidents in the past have all campaigned on. Trump is now trying to take the steps to keep that promise, which is what the majority of the American people want. Whether you're on the right or the left or somewhere in the middle or you're a libertarian, whatever it is, the majority of people want our troops to come home. We want to stop policing the world. But he's also damned if he does because now we have two friends and you have people upset now that we are leaving the protection of the Kurds so that it is allowing our other friends, Turkey, to <laughs> start bombing our other friends, the Kurds. So we've got we've created this whole entanglement and the actual solution, because that's what we do here. We talk about solutions to problems. The actual solution, even though it's going to cause turmoil because you're not going to be able to stop the turmoil over there. These people have been at war for thousands of years. The actual solution that both that most that best benefits Americans and at least American human lives 
is to literally pull the troops out and start fresh. Now it may take, and I was telling you this earlier, it may take 30, 40, 50, maybe even a hundred years before these people and countries stop being mad at the United States for inserting themselves in everybody's conflict. It may take a long time for that to get over, but the actual solution is exactly what Trump is doing is to start removing our troops, removing our bases, removing our presence in every single conflict that's involved in the Middle East. And so we can let them fight their own wars. There's no reason we should be meddling in their business ever unless something major happens to one of our allies where we're legally contracted to have a response. Now you could argue that we should be actually attacking the, the rebel Kurds because contractually, if they're attacking Turkey, Turkey's our ally. Why aren't all the countries attacking these rebel groups? That's it's just, it's such a ridiculous mess that it was just started in the fact that America decided to insert itself into all these countries that never even, it never even was supposed to insert itself into Libya, Syria, Iraq, Iran, all of it. The only country we could have possibly been in is Pakistan and Afghanistan to get Osama bin Laden. And that's it. That's it. Well, so in, in, uh, clear clarifying the whole idea here, um, it's a good thing that Trump is pulling troops down. Now we have to specify he's not removing them from Syria. He's moving them to another place in Syria away from the right. border. That's why I basically. said we have to be cautious yeah. and say, yeah, he actually hasn't brought them home yet. Yeah. So they're, <laughs> they're not steps. They're not coming home, but they are withdrawing from the front lines basically of some of these conflicts. And that's good. And we've seen other things with Trump where obviously all the talk with Iran was going on. They're allegedly bombing boats or shooting down drones, all this stuff. And still, Trump does not do anything to Iran at that point in time. In fact, he sent Rand Paul, of all people, he sent Rand Paul to Iran to negotiate with them over our our terms and conditions and what we were going to do to try and stay away from war. So it tells you a lot about that. They didn't publicize that very well. No one knew that he went there until after he got back. But I think it tells you a lot about Trump's position on war when he sends someone like Rand Paul to go to Iran and negotiate with them. Uh, so, you know, just be principled in the matter. And in that, I mean, we are generally always against war, uh, especially when it's not us who's being attacked. Um, we are we are against wars. We are against the fact that we are still in the Middle East. We do not like the fact that we have like a thousand bases in almost 200 countries all around the world. We don't like the fact that we put ourselves in other people's business all the time. And this is one of those times. And so regardless of our political party, we have to give President Trump credit where the credit is due. Remain principled, say that. But I would also say, if you're a Democrat, then also ask yourself if you're remaining principled, would you be? Would you have the same feelings? Would Chuck Schumer be saying the same thing about President Obama's reckless foreign policy and the fact that he was taking these troops out of out of that area? Would Chuck Schumer be up there giving a press conference about it? No, probably not. They they've called uh, they've called Trump an isolationist. 
Just oh. just think about that. Calling Trump in isolation. We got to get these buzz these buzzwords yeah. out there. You have to use those words that you know, just these bad words that have negative connotations to them. That's what they did to Ron Paul when he was running. He's an isolationist. What you should be called is a non-interventionalist. Right. That's that's the actual term that you do not just go insert yourselves into other people's business all the time. Like we've said before, it would make no sense for Syria to start dropping bombs in the southern part of Chicago due to the mass amounts of gun violence that they have there. Right. That, that makes no sense whatsoever. When we have riots in St. Louis or in Baltimore, I don't think we expect that some Iraqi tanks are going to be rolling across the city <laughs> lines to stop the riots. Right. It makes no sense yep. at, at all. So if we don't like it, if people would do it to us... If we don't like it, maybe if um, if Afghanistan were to just carve out, a, you know, a hundred acres for their Afghanistan embassy in the in the middle of Tennessee here somewhere, and people would probably be very upset about that. Well, I mean, we just do that everywhere, like literally, Here, like every even, country. Here's an even better example: when the Army National Guard killed like eight people at Kent State in the eighties. Yeah, yeah. Imagine. <laughs> Imagine if the Iraqi forces came over yeah. to, to, you know, attack our Army National Guard for killing our civilians at a college. Yeah, yeah. That's what that is like. And That's the, almost like the exact example that we do all of the time. One of the points that you made is that ISIS, they haven't came here and attacked us, you know. And now this is where I get a little bit. I get a little bit upset with the Trump supporters because a few years ago they would have said, well, we got to fight him over there so we don't have to fight him here. You know, that's that's what they're saying all the time. Now Trump's pulling people back and they're like, oh, we need to get out of the Middle East. We've been in too many wars. You know, um, so anyway, but this idea, you know, ISIS has not came here and attacked us. That was Al-Qaeda who did that. The only reason that American troops have been killed by ISIS is because we're over there. That's, yes. That's why. Um, they you did can, not come and here and draw that conclusion. Yeah. So get out of over there. And then therefore we will not have any more American troops getting killed by ISIS. No more Americans getting killed by ISIS over there. Now, if they come here and attack us, then that's a different story. If they declare a war on us or we, we know that that's what they're doing, then, hey, maybe we should just try something different from what we've been doing for the last hundred years, basically. Stop doing the same thing over and over again. I've got a headline for you. Yeah. It's 99.997% of Americans do not agree that we should take any military action ever. Really? You want to know how I know that? <laughs> how do you know that? I did the arithmetic on it. Okay. So, because you can say what you believe all day long, mm, uh, yeah. but it's your actions that yeah. actually speak, that actually uh, portray what you actually believe in. And let me tell you, we're a country of 330 million people, and we have 1 million people that have decided to sign up for the military. So you have 1 million people that actually are willing to lay their lives down for these interventions, or whatever they are. You have 1 million people that have signed the dotted line. That leaves 329 million people that haven't. And so you can, if you are not willing yourself to sign up to go to war, then you cannot say that you support any war ever. Boom. That's you just so. slap the table after that. 97.997% of Americans don't, don't want to go to war. Don't want to go to war. Now, Otherwise, you'd sign up for it. Here's what you should do. You should offer a free, a free 
AR-15 and a plane ticket to anyone who wants to go to Syria and to go up to Kurdistan up there and help fight Turkey. Yeah, I absolutely would. We'll do it. Anyone? Send me an uh, send me an invoice. Mm. Yep, we'll do it. I'll uh, pay it. We've got a you've got a couple AR-15s downstairs, and they'll get you on a plane. I used to have them. I'll have to get new ones. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> he lost them in right. that tragic. Uh, it was a boating accident. Yeah, a actually, boating accident in the middle of the ocean. Yeah, they're gone. Yeah, totally gone. I was in the China Sea somehow. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about uh, let's talk about comment section. A very very smooth transition here. Yeah, away from a very very dangerous. Well, I just want to end that by saying yeah. that I guess we could take the stance that we support Trump taking the steps to pull our troops back. And yeah. any, we would support anybody who did that. Yeah. Obama, Trump, Trump Jr., Bernie Sanders, it doesn't matter. <clears throat> we are principle over party. We are we believe in in a set of moral guides over any person or political affiliation. So it doesn't matter who it is, whoever takes the steps necessary to keep us out of these conflicts, that's we're going to support that and you should too. Yes. Okay, we've got a very awkward and rough transition here to <laughs> our section that we like to call comment section where we discuss a comment that we had on Facebook. Now I don't have the actual comment right here in front of me, but I do know that you went back and forth with this person for a little bit. This was, uh, I think you did too, actually. I might have, yeah. I might have the, this was on our video. It was that famous Neil Cavuto video where he asked the college student what we were going to do if the 1% left our country. And she just responded with, oh, well, there's always going to be a 1%. You know, we're, we're always going to have that. I will say we're making that <laughs> video even more famous now. We are. Yeah, it's got... It's garnered over 100,000 views already. Yeah, in, in the last, what, like uh, three or four days? Four days. Four days, yeah. Not too bad. Um, so this whole situation happened, and she said, well, basically, I mean, the rich aren't going to leave. What are you talking about? There's always going to be rich people here. So There's always going to be a 1%. Yeah, there's always... And the, you know what I will say, because I'm writing an article about it right now, it is mathematically true that there will always be a 1%. There, there will always be one. You can always take the top 1% of income earners, and there will always be the ability to look at the top 1% of income earners. What if everybody made the exact same money? Well, I guess then, well, technically, the top 1% would, would be, be the 100%. same as everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> but even if, so this idea, there's always going to be a 1%, that's true. That's a true statement. Now, you don't know if uh, we chase away all of the billionaires and the millionaires, the average income in the 1% might just be like $75,000 a year. Right. What's the yeah. 1% parameters yeah, that, that's that the you thing. put on the data? It's just 1%. Like you will always be able to say that there is a bottom 50% of income earners. That will always be the case. There will always be a top 50% of income earners. Those are just picking out sections of the people who earn incomes. But it says nothing about how much income those people make at all. So that's the part you have to worry about is because right now the 1%, their total earnings, which we talked about yesterday, you can go back and listen to that show, their total earnings are about $1.6 trillion per year for all of the 1% combined. So it does not mean that in 30 years, the 1% are still going to be making that much money. It could be it could be a tenth of that if you chase all the people away that mm -hmm. make all the money. So anyway, this guy got on there and said, that there's no proof that the rich will leave due to high taxation. We don't have any, we don't have any proof of that happening in the history. This is just opinion and speculation. And <coughs> there's no reason to think that the rich are going to flee the United States. 
that, that there's no reason for that to happen. And you're just, I mean, you're just throwing opinion out there. This is conjecture. It's not backed by any data. Yeah, no data whatsoever. So we started talking earlier about this is actually something that you brought up, which was... What's that? I want to know what that's called first. Is that, that's that ad hominem without data? Ad hominem? Yes. Um, I don't know. I don't know what that... No, that's when you're making a uh, personal attack, I think, inside oh, of an argument. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. right. We're not... It's not a straw man. Either, by the way, it's... freaking one of my biggest pet peeves are when you're arguing, arguing with someone online and all of their responses are... I just think of them as like referees in the NFL game throwing out flags for like, <laughs> that's ad hominem. That's straw man. Appeal to authority. That's not it. They're just... And they never <laughs> respond to anything that you ever say. Right. They just... They've got this glossary of of definitions of things inside of arguments and they use that so they don't have to respond to anything that you're saying right instead of ever arguing for their point at all they just respond with straw man ad hominem you know they just that's it's like all they do. it's like they're a lawyer objecting i know it drives me insane objecting it's, it's object the, your honor it's the most obvious cop-out of an argument if you guys are listening right now don't do that in arguments you can even if someone says something that's completely stupid or baseless come up with a response that that supports your viewpoint don't just throw a flag on their argument it's really annoying and if you and if you are throwing the flag explain it yeah you can say hey that's a straw man Mm -hmm. argument because of this 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 and this here's my response to what the topic at hand still is yeah and go from there you can't just your response can't just be Oh well, I don't have to respond because that's a straw man. What that doesn't make any sense. Like when I was talking about the stock market and how it had something to do with time frames in the stock market, and I was using that as an example, and they were like, "Well, we don't, you know, we're not going to listen to you. There's not any reason that you know anything." I was like, "Well, actually, I've been trading every single day in the stock market for like three years now, and uh, you know, been trading the strategy for for a long time." And they're like, oh, that's that's appeal to authority. There's no reason to do that. And uh, which appeal to authority is another flag that people throw <laughs> in there. And then Did later, you do a 10 yard penalty. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I'm like the only reason Did you I to go said, sit in the box for two minutes. <laughs> the only reason I said that was because that there's no reason for you to listen to me when I'm talking about the stock market. Right. And so I said, hey, actually, I work in the stock market every right. single day. I actually know something about yeah. this, maybe more than you do. Yeah. So, Isn't that a Jordan Peterson rule? Listen you know, listen to when somebody speaks speak, or assume whoever you're speaking to knows something that you don't. Yeah, that's a good rule. It is a great rule. It doesn't mean that it's always the case. No. But you can listen to them as if that were the case and just see if they do. That's actually you know? opened up my ears quite a bit. Yeah. Except for this one not I got the, a problem with. Not the one on your right. <laughs> not the one on the right. That one's no anyway, good. Anyway, I threw you way off topic now. <laughs> So. <laughs> well, we were talking earlier yes. about, um, wouldn't it be great if we could just set up a couple different societies and say, okay, this society, this this group's going to go on a strictly socialist basis, and they're going to have like the most social programs and the most socialist everything. And then this other group, well, they're just going to have the most freedom possible and just the most, you know, whatever, libertarian, free market, whatever they can have. And Let's I was see like, see which one wins. Yeah. And I was like, well, that'd be cool. I was like, but wait, we... We kind of already do do that. We've got 50 separate states, and they've all got their own separate state governments. Hmm. So we do have an example. They have their own separate state laws. They do. They've all got their own tax systems. They've all got their own tax percentages. Some of them don't have any state income taxes. Some of them have like 13.3% taxes like California does. So Mm -hmm. there, there are examples 
of some these. Some of them have rent control. Some, some of, of them, them don't. Yeah, California, by the way, uh, today the governor, governor signed statewide rent control because it wasn't enough in San Francisco, the highest rent and one of the highest homeless population cities in the entire nation, who has the strictest rent control laws in the entire nation other than New York City, um, it was working so well there that he decided he needed to make sure the whole state had, the had rent control. Yeah, that, that's going to fix it. God bless. That'll, that'll make it work better. So we do have these different government systems set up in these different states. And what's really cool when you think about it is that our states are actually about the size of all of these little Scandinavian countries and the countries in, in uh, the UK and, and all of those places. They've all got about the same populations, and actually some of the states are still bigger than, than a lot of those yeah. countries. So 10, 20, 30, 50 million people? We really do have like 50 separate governments. Now, of course, they all operate under the same federal government, but then they've got their own little sub-governments underneath, which is not how it's supposed to go, but um, they've got their own little sub-governments underneath with their own little tax systems. And we can see what is happening in those states that have the most strenuous tax systems and then the states that don't have any taxes. What you're saying is the experiment that I wanted to run is being ran. Yeah, it's already and been it's, ran. And it's been ran for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we came from we came from Illinois. The Charlie and I both did. We went to school together in Illinois. I don't really like to claim that. Yeah. We we moved to Nashville. <laughs> it's been a solid ten years ago now that we moved yeah. to Nashville. Almost ten exactly. Um, so we've been here for about ten years, moved from Illinois. Now Illinois just keeps raising their taxes. They just doubled their gas tax, their property taxes are going crazy. And one thing to know about Illinois is that they are the only state that now, for five years in a row, has decreased in population. So hmm. we've already got some examples of this. And we know from the little area in Illinois that we're from that is just completely dying and falling apart, just not good at all. Yeah, um, We know what happens when the free market's working. The businesses do not choose to move to that part of Illinois that we're from. They choose to move to Kentucky or Missouri or Indiana, places like that. So we can already see that market playing out right there. We've seen it happen in our hometowns, where the town that I'm from is uh, now has lost their gas station due to Illinois' new um, environmental laws uh, because the person decided it wasn't worth upgrading their tank system. And then now their, their grocery store is going to be closing too. And all due to the fact that they cannot handle paying the $15 minimum wage that they just enacted. They don't make enough money to do that. Uh, and they can't handle the, the business taxes and all of the other income taxes there. So they're getting out. Getting out of town. Um, <clears throat> now, why would they do that? I don't know. Because on, honest, obviously, there's just no examples of the rich leaving you would think high tax places whatsoever. If you just tax... The rich people, they'll just stay and pay it. Now, uh, Chicago, obviously, biggest city in Illinois. Actually, the Chicago, the county that Chicago is in. Um, Cook, Cook County. Cook County has about as many people as the entire rest of the state. So that's one thing to know about Illinois. Uh, in the, uh, not this last election, not in 2016, but I guess 2012, in that election... Uh, they actually, is that when their governor was elected? Are they on 2012, 2016 on that schedule? I think so. Whatever it was. Um, so anyway, the last time their Republican governor was elected, um, Rauner, every single county in Illinois voted Republican. 
except for Cook County. And the same thing happened again with uh, with Pritzker, the new guy that's in there, only a, a couple other counties. But the point I'm trying to get across there is that Illinois is known as this really, like, democratic state. Staunch blue. Yeah, but actually it's only Chicago. Right. If you were to remove Chicago, Illinois would be, like, one of the most Republican states. Because, like, almost every single county votes Republican except for Cook County. Right. So, anyway... Aside from that, kind of the same with Tennessee. Yeah, we can we can look at Chicago. Um, this is from Zero Hedge. Uh, last year, uh, three thousand people with net net assets of a million dollars or more moved from Chicago, representing uh, over two percent of their high net worth people. Now that's not a big number, but that's three thousand people. They said, um, let's see, it was in since two thousand nine, about thirty billion dollars worth of taxable income has left Illinois. Wow. So the and they've got they are one of the highest tax states in the nation now as of their new laws that just got enacted. So I want well, to surely um, people are moving to California. Then they're leaving Illinois and going to California. <laughs> that must be it. Because well, if I'm going to leave a high tax state it, and the taxes don't matter, I'm going to go to another state that has high taxes. It's just better weather. Yeah. I'm sure that's is what that, is that the case? Um, no, no, that's not the case. Actually, most of them are moving well from Illinois. They're going to uh, Wisconsin, Missouri, Kentucky, or Florida, which is about the most popular place for people to move to. Really? Yeah, it's a really, really weird. I mean, Nashville also growing like crazy. Tennessee is a very popular place for people to move to. So we can look at some of these states, and there's this thing called their net. And then states, they call it out-migration or immigration with an E. Uh, that's the people who are leaving. So they give you a net number on that per 1,000 residents. And you can look at all the different states and see what their net migration number is. So it's really interesting to look at the highest tax states in the country, which would be places like New York and California and Illinois. Well, Illinois has a net out-migration number of negative 8.9 per 1,000 people. Uh, California, negative 3.5 per 1,000 people. Let's see. New York, where were they? They are at, uh, let me see here. Oh, negative 9.6 per 1,000 people. Um, And then you can look at states... I would just like to look at states who, let's just say they don't have an income tax. Yeah. Something like that. That's a good reference point. Yeah. So states without an income tax. Delaware comes up. Well, they're positive 4.7. Uh, Florida, uh, 7.8. Hmm. Positive 7.8. Tennessee, positive 6.1. Washington, positive 8.9. Uh, Nevada, positive 13. Really big. Uh, Nevada, right next to California. Which That's is really weird. But it's also a desert. Yeah. <laughs> so you're telling me people are moving to deserts. Yeah, just to get away from the government. <laughs> <laughs> to get, okay. Yeah, that's what's happening. So we can look at these numbers and see these states where they have really high taxes are, on average, losing people. As far as people who are moving, most of them are moving out, not moving in. Uh, and then the states where there are no state taxes or no state income taxes, well, as far as people who are moving a bigger proportion of them are moving in than are moving out. So you can kind of draw that correlation and say, well, it looks like the people are leaving. The people with the money are leaving. But that doesn't tell you the people with money are leaving. What does tell you that is this next article that I wanted to talk about. Very nice. About the people with money leaving. So what are you doing here with your opinion? What I want people to know, which is what this 
Oh, what I'm doing with my opinion. Yeah. I'm trying to back it up with facts. Yeah. Well, yeah. So listen up. I think the guy's name was Jordan. Yeah. Listen up, Jordan. We know you listen to this podcast. Because <laughs> <laughs> this guy said it was just our opinions. Right. Exactly. That people left. These are these are fact. Yeah. So, factual opinions. So we have these states that have really high taxes. People are leaving. The states with really low taxes. People are actually moving there. This is from a moving. This is a a, a moving company that was reporting people who are leaving New York. Uh, so forty one percent of the people that moved away from New York have a salary of one hundred and fifty thousand dollars or more. Forty one percent of them. The smallest portion, actually, people who made less than fifty thousand dollars per year represented only 8% of the people that were leaving New York. So as of people who were leaving, it was mostly people with money who were leaving New York. Uh, so then we also have a couple articles here. This one from Forbes. I did not realize that this had happened, that it was such a bad uh, instance in Maryland. I can give you a personal example. What's that? By the way. Yeah. I'm not going to tell anybody's name. I actually have a friend who is a very, very savvy business person. Like if... I will, I will tell you this, if Paradexo grows to the size, which it will, um, I will would hire this person as my CEO. He's that good. And he has been in some uh, different companies around Nashville, around the Nashville area where he's been very high up in those companies. And I would say, I don't know his salary, but I would say he probably makes somewhere around 200000 a year, maybe a little bit more. He's got benefits and stuff like that. And a couple of years ago, he was offered a... Uh, an upper executive position for a company in New York city where they were going to pay him a million dollars a year. Mm. And he declined it. Really? He declined becoming a millionaire because he did the math and he figured out that he would be poorer in New York making a million dollars a year than he is in Tennessee making 200, 250 grand. Wow. Uh, th that's crazy. Yeah. Just because of their taxation and the cost of living, the there. cost of living, yeah. the taxation, everything he had to turn it down because literally 200 grand, you can live a better life in Tennessee with two on 200 grand than you can in a million dollars in New York. Yeah. That's insane. That's absolutely insane. This, um, could you ever imagine turning down an offer where somebody's going to pay you a million dollars a year? It reminds me of, you know, Grant Cardone. I don't know if any of you guys have ever listened to Grant Cardone, but he actually wrote a letter when he lived in California. He wrote a letter to the governor of California telling him that if he signed their new tax bill, their new income tax increase, that he was going to leave and go to Florida. Where'd he go? He went to Florida. <laughs> no state income tax. Yeah, a really easy yep. move right there for him. and uh, Doing just fine in Florida. So, yeah. Uh, so I wanted to also go into this article real quick. We had this, this situation in Maryland, which I had not heard about. So this is from Forbes. In 2008, in an attempt to address a state budget deficit brought about by Maryland's structural overspending problem, Governor O'Malley championed and enacted a new millionaire income tax bracket, raising the tax rate to 6.25%. A May 2009 Wall Street Journal editorial described, as the, dis described the disappearance of one-third of the state's millionaires in the following uh, after the following year, following uh, O'Malley's tax increase. So one year later, no one's real happy about it. One third of the millionaires had disappeared from Maryland's tax rolls. In 2008, roughly $3,000 million income tax returns were filed. This year, there were only 2,000 millionaire income tax returns filed. So they, they literally had a decrease of one third of millionaires in one year after instituting their millionaire tax, tax bracket. 
So they actually got $100 million less in taxes after instituting that new tax bracket for millionaires. $100 million less after raising the taxes on millionaires. Yeah. Yeah. After they, of course, have projected that they were going to take in a lot more money after instituting this. They never took into account that people are going to leave, that people are going to leave, <laughs> that they can go to other places. So the, the whole point on this is that we can see it happening on, in the state governments. We can see these people shifting the places with lower taxes. Guys, people with money, while you might think about how hard it is to move around or how, hard, how much stress it is to buy a new house, how much stress it is for you to pay movers and do all this stuff, people with a lot of money... That's not really a big stressor for them. Actually, it's a stressor for them that they're in places that charge them higher taxes. And then they can just pay. I mean, even even if it costs them, even if it costs them a hundred thousand dollars in moving expenses to go somewhere, and then they have to get another house, they'll do it because they'll save a lot of money. And so that applies to the states. But then we also have to remember that we compete in a world economy. The whole world is competition. And these millionaires and the billionaires, these evil, evil, greedy 1% people, they're not just going to stay here and take it lying down, okay? They're going to get up and leave. They'll, they'll move their corporations to other countries. They'll move their bank accounts to other countries, and they'll pay themselves a salary. And yeah, that'll get taxed, but the rest of their money, they'll stay over there in the bank account overseas. They'll do things like this so they can get away from paying the taxes. That's just another expense for them that they have to account for all the time. So it's not just a given that we'll raise taxes and that they're all just going to stay here and we'll make more money because we raised the taxes. Actually, we've seen over time that as the tax rate went down, the actual percentage of income taxes, total revenue to the government that was paid by the 1% actually increased, actually kept getting more money from them. We, got, we get more money, a larger share of our income tax receipts right now come from the 1% than did when the 1% were getting taxed at a 90% level. We get more money from them now. So it's not just a given that they're going to stay here. They'll go somewhere else. They'll find ways to not pay the taxes. And even if they did stay here, don't ever forget the fact that in total, they make about $1.6 trillion in earnings. Total. Now, Bernie Sanders' government budget is going to have to be something like $10 trillion a year, something like that, after he institutes all of the policy. And he's not going to get it. It'll probably be Warren if anyone's going to beat Trump. So their budgets are going to have to be like $10 trillion a year. Even if we took all the money from the 1%, don't let them keep any of it. Take every single dollar. There still will not be enough money to run the government for even two months. That's, That's the actual math behind it. So for all of these policies where they say the 1% are going to pay for it, don't think for one second that that's true. The money does not exist. And if the money does exist, they're going to find a way to hide it like they always have. Like they always have. Hey, and more power to them for doing that. I would do the same thing. So anyway, guys, Charlie uh, once again had to leave to go jump on another work call. So I'm going to go ahead and in the show for today. Follow us on Instagram. That's at Good Morning Liberty. Follow us on Twitter at Good AM Liberty. Look us up on Facebook, Good Morning Liberty. Go to goodmorningliberty.us or bernielies.com. If you want to read some great articles on politics and economics, leave us a rating and review on the show. We would really appreciate it. Leave five stars if you like the show. Ignore this whole statement if you don't. 
If you guys do all of those things, then we'll be right back here tomorrow doing the same thing. Until then, have a good day and a good morning, Liberty.